Welcome to No You Shut Up. It's the most contentious father-son podcast on the internet. And as always, we say, kids, don't try this at home. This is where dad and son Alex debate in a friendly way, although sometimes contentious about sports. I'm dad. I'm Alex. Hello, hello. And we start off, as always, with the news of the week. And we are in the middle of summer, which means sports news is sort of hard to come by here. But we found a few things. Of course, there's the NBA update with the finals. Alex, what's going on? Well, it looked like the Bucks might be down for the count against the Suns, but they went back to Milwaukee for game three and were able to get the series back to 2-1. Giannis with another vintage performance, scoring 20 in the third quarter. That's the most in an NBA Finals quarter since the turn of the century. LeBron hasn't done that. Kobe hasn't done that. Shaq hasn't done that. And another 40-10 game. Again, the only player since Shaq to do that in an NBA Finals game. Giannis putting the Bucks on his back, and he might just get the Bucks right back into the series, Dad. So Giannis is Cle- the Cle- uh, LeBron of Cleveland. The LeBron of Milwaukee, yes. Well, that's what I meant. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Better said, actually. Uh, let's move on to the MLB, since I'm choking right there. Uh, the All-Star Game, of course, which means that we're in the middle of the baseball season, which is another way of saying we're watching paint dry. But the Home Run Derby, tell me a little about it. Pete Alonzo last night winning his second Home Run Derby. And, uh, you know, I don't know the name off the top of my head, but special shouts uh, go out to whoever was pitching him the ball. He put it in the same spot just about every single time. I saw the stat cast of it. He looked like a Roldis Chapman in the ninth inning. He was throwing him right over the plate, the meatballs for Pete Alonzo, and he was able to take advantage and win his second home run derby. It was the most entertaining home run derby I've gotten to see in a very long time, which is good for the MLB after the pandemic to, to get back to things like that, I think. I was going to ask you this because I have to tell you, I tuned out of the home run derby a long, long time ago. Unfortunately, and you know, don't get me started about ESPN. But, you know, the first time I heard Berman do the back, 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 back thing, it was like, okay. But then the second time and the third time and the fourth time and the 28th year, it's like, I'm over it. Well, they don't have Berman doing it anymore. They have these uh, they have these random columnists who don't really like baseball. So I was watching the ESPN2 stream of it, actually, where they had kind of the nerds doing the stat cast view of it. Because that's what I like. I like seeing these uh, these guys wearing glasses just freaking out about how far the home run balls were going. And they were going far because, you know, the home run derby was at Coors Field, right. uh, which has the altitude. And so that we got last night for off the bat of Trevor Story, the longest home run derby home run ever recorded. So it was very fun to watch that last night with the stat cast. No more Chris Berman, but getting to see some nerds nerd out over far hit baseballs was a very, very good viewing experience. Well, that's how long it's been since I've watched it because I couldn't have told you that Berman's not still doing doing that. But I will say this as well. Sometimes the data is another reason why I don't care about how fast the ball is leaving the park or how the arc is and all that kind of stuff. However, I think I'm in the minority. I think the stat nerds love it. You don't care about launch angle? No, I don't <laughs> care about launch angle. But anyway, let's move on to the NHL. The Lightning win again. Ho-hum, their second consecutive win. And they had a victory parade in Tampa Bay and if it looked a lot like the Bucks parade, well, it looked a lot like the Bucks parade. Long live the boat parade. The boat parade where they dented the trophy. They, you nays, you people, that's just proof that the Stanley Cup does not belong south of Washington, D.C., even if it gets that far south. You don't even know what to do with the cup. Although, I don't know, it might have been a Ruski or something who dented the cup for all I know. And they definitely respect the cup, I think. But I am told 
that it is on its way back to Toronto and it will be repaired. And seeing as how the NHL allows the Stanley Cup to go anywhere, which I think is one of the great things about it. You don't hear that with a Lombardi trophy. No. It's not, you know, it's not going to various towns where it gets uh, paraded around. Yeah, Alex yeah, Alex Ovechkin is just drinking out of it in his bed. It's a great trophy. And they have great trophy stories. And so bully for them. And if it gets dented, I'm sure the folks in Toronto are like, so what? We'll fix it. Uh, tell me, you were talking about the Brady effect real quick. Yeah, so this Tom Brady effect, I saw this on Twitter this week. This is crazy. So when Tom Brady was attending the University of Michigan in the early 2000s and late 90s, that is when the Detroit Pistons were starting to really build into the uh, into the iteration of the bad boy Pistons, or not the, the going-to-work Pistons, rather, of the mid-2000s. Right. And that was the last time the Lions won a playoff game is when Tom Brady was residing in Ann Arbor. Then Tom Brady goes to Boston. We all see how that went for them for 20 years. Yeah. Celtics win a title. Bruins win a title. Patriots win seven. Red Sox win three. Uh, and then he goes to Tampa Bay, and all of a sudden, all Tampa Bay can do is win championships. So Tom Brady, you know, a lot is said about him bringing championships to uh, teams on the NFL field. Clearly, he's a winner when it comes to every other sports league. Sometimes you think that's got to be a coincidence. Sometimes you got to think, I wonder if it is. I wonder, yeah, maybe wonder maybe he's, maybe he's training with Steven Stamkos. Who knows? Maybe so. Let's move on to the NFL. And, of course, the only thing going on is the Aaron Rodgers watch continues even through – that boring, ridiculous, made-for-television, made-for-the-internet, made-for-whatever golf match. tournament. The match. Who cares? Uh, again, uh, that is a sure sign that the golf world, the sports world, the football world is in the middle of the oh, yeah. oh, yeah. This can only happen in July. But, you know, you and I talked about this earlier. Is there fatigue with the Aaron Rodgers watch, it was such a hot thing to talk about. And now, who cares? Yeah, the soundbite of the week this week was uh, Aaron Rodgers on a golf cart, and someone asked him, who will you be playing for this season? You know what Aaron Rodgers said? He said, we'll see what happens. And that answer was the biggest story in sports, apparently, for the next three days. We'll see what happens. Which is this true. Is, this is Which we will. We objectively will. And it's, it is it is ridiculous. I think we're all getting really fatigued of this. The talking through the media, uh, these questions that are being given to Aaron Rodgers just to create a soundbite so we can have something, anything Ugh. to talk about, is really getting old at this point. Even as a Packers fan who's fiercely loyal to Aaron Rodgers, I'm at the point where I can take it or leave it. We'll see where he's playing this fall. Wake me up in mid-August. I'm really out on it. Look, I think the, you are too. The summer is the time to take your family to the beach and to take them to Disney World and all that kind of stuff. Tune out. Yeah, delete Twitter. This is all noise. Who cares? The action starts in August. Call me in mid to late August. Until then, I don't care. The Olympics starting in a few days and no fans in the stands. And so it's going to be really interesting, I think. Uh, as to what's it going to be like, you know, what's it going to be like when there are, uh, when there's no fans? Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, I think, because the Olympics are under even more scrutiny somehow than they are usually with the being bumped back a year and with all the attention on the first real global gathering since the pandemic. And so far it hasn't gone great, you know, yeah. planning on having fans and banning them two right. weeks out from the event starting the entire kerfuffle with Shikari Richardson, whether or not she's going to be allowed to run. It really feels like, uh, it, and just today, this happening with the IOC chief uh, accidentally calling Japanese people Chinese people, which is obviously a big a big thing you're not supposed to do in that right. part of the world. Very right. offensive thing to say, especially for anybody, much less the IOC chief. 
hopefully they can turn it around. This would be a very, for an organization that doesn't have a very high approval rating in today's world, no one likes the IOC. Uh, they'd be well advised to not screw this one up. And so far, it looks like that's all they're doing. And I sort of feel like in a country that's sort of known for always dotting the I's uh, and and uh, crossing the T's, as they say, the Japanese, I think there have been some missteps. And I think that maybe somebody's not learning a lesson from the U.S. a year ago in COVID times when we kept hoping against hope. And, well, you know, if we just go ahead and plan it and go through with it, everything's going to be okay. And then you have to backtrack and then you have to recalculate and then you have to say, well, maybe not. And I feel the Japanese have been doing this. Let's move on to Euro 2020 and a great finals match. And you know what? I think overall, a great Euro 2020. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was really exciting. I think it was great for soccer. And I think the finals match was appropriate because it was exciting. Uh, was it the two best teams? I don't I don't know about that because I think that Spain, you know, uh, in Italy uh, played such a great match. I do think that England came up through a bit of a weaker draw, but that's not their fault. Yeah, he and, plays and, in front of you. And they did play um, Italy really well those first 20 minutes. They had Italy on their heels the way that I don't think they had been seen before. Mm-hmm. But obviously Italy is the team because they came back from that fast start. And they obviously, by the by the end of the first half, I think you could tell that they were taking control by methodically possessing the ball. And after a while, it was like this is a sign of momentum shift. And when they scored that goal, in my opinion, you sort of felt like this was inevitable. Although, when you go to PKs, anything, anything could happen. Happens. And yeah. interesting to note that the two subs that Gareth Southgate made at the end of the game, specifically for the penalty kicks, those two subs missed their kicks. One, I don't consider it a missed kick when the goalie saves it. I guess that's what they do over in Europe. They kept saying they missed the kick. It's like, no, the goalie stopped it. But one uh, was actually hit the post. Right. You missed. Rash, Rashford hits the Rashford post. Rashford hit and, the post. And the goalie had, had dove the other way. It was and his it was for the like, take. dude. And after that, after that, I think. That's horrible. Because well, because England didn't get, didn't get another penalty no. after that. Right. And after you know, their goalie, misses. Pickford, saved Pickford two. Pickford played well. He saved two of those five shots. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to me, if you save two of those five, you should win. Uh, and so anyway, I think that Italy, you know, for all the talk of how I feel like Italy was the best team, um, uh, England did give them a game and could have and should have won in PK. And big ups to Gianluigi Donnarumma, the Italian goalkeeper. Yes. After Rashford uh, hit the post, just slammed the door, oh. absolutely denied Jaden Sancho yes. and Bukayo Saka. Well, and yeah, uh, and the, the, the storyline in England now for Gareth Southgate is why was Bukayo Saka taking his first international penalty <laughs> kick in that situation? I it's, guess we'll never know. And that'll be the lasting uh, impression. It's such a head game. It is. Those penalty kicks. And it's interesting to me. And there's such pressure. That kid's only 19 years old, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I would not want to be in that situation. And, you know, again, to me, it was a good kick. I think when I watch those PKs and I see some of those players that nail the ball in the top left or top right corner. Now that takes guts to shoot it there because your margin for error is so small. But those are the penalty kicks that no goalie on the planet can stop. All others that come at head level, for example, if the goalie guess is correct, he's going to stop it. But I don't think that Saka's kick was a bad kick. 
It's just that Donnarumma, I mean, he he guessed correctly. Yeah, he got, got in front of him. Had he gone the other way, we'd all be saying what a hero. Yeah. Uh, now, Rashford, on the other hand, you Man. missed the net. It's... And to me, it's sort of like whatever you do, it's like in hockey. Shoot, make, put it on the net. Yeah. Because we know it's not going to go in if it's not on the net. Yeah. And I just feel like you were put in specifically for this situation and to hit the post. Now... I feel horrible for anybody who has to live that down. Oh man! And obviously, the uh, the English response has been yeah, has horrible. been predictably yeah. uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and you know, uh, the the commentators in the feed that I watched were talking about were asking the question: Do you pick who is going to take that penalty kick based on who you think can handle if they miss it? No. Which I thought was very interesting. That's an interesting point. And one of the analysts who has played in the Euro before said, "Yes, that the coach or manager will pick based on who he thinks can handle it if he misses it." Which yeah. is very interesting. And I think that's a good strategy because I think that criteria can also kind of fall under, you know, how how mentally well put together is this person? How can they handle that kind of ratcheted up pressure? Which really matters when that ball's on the spot and you have uh, the entire fate of your country's sporting hopes yeah. on your shoulders. Of your whole country. This yeah. isn't like double doink in the Chicago Bears here. No. Because we're gonna we're gonna move on from that in ten years. It's this fine. is your whole country. Well, you know, Saka. This as, is gonna be no one's gonna forget this. Well, and Rashford, Rashford as well. I, I mean, I think, and even as England progressed through the draw, that's how I learned that the manager Southgate had actually missed, or he didn't miss. But you know, his his PK was stopped. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And people don't forget that, which oh, I no. think is horrible, because it's like you know those who are catcalling from the stands couldn't even run up and down the pitch no. as they say without losing their lunch uh so anyway i'm sorry I'm, I'm belaboring that but i thought it was an excellent euro 2020 tell me about copa america because while europe was going on south america which of course has some pretty good soccer too they do uh and a pretty good soccer player there who got a pretty big monkey off his back yes uh you know Brazil and Argentina, which was the final really everybody wanted in the Copa Americas, the two giants down there. And they played in the iconic Maracana Stadium in uh, in Rio de Janeiro, where Brazil hasn't lost to a South American side since they lost to Paraguay in 1949. And all Argentina did was go in there and exercise all of their demons uh, with international tournaments. Obviously, everybody's going to talk about... Uh, Lionel Messi finally getting the monkey off of his back, finally getting that international trophy. And it was great to see him lift that trophy. But I'm even thinking about Angel Di Maria, who's two years older than Lionel Messi and who also has never won an international trophy. This was his drought, too. And it was a beautiful chip shot from him in the 26th minute. That was the only goal of the game. I'm so happy for the Argentine side because we've seen them just fall short again and again and again. And getting to see those two lift the trophy was just, it's honestly one of the more beautiful things we've seen in sports this year. Good for them and good for them. And you know, South America has been having a tough time with uh, COVID as well. And it was quite controversial to move those matches, as you know, Mm -hmm. to Brazil. So I'm glad that that did not overshadow the great story of Argentina and Lionel Messi and good that, when he does decide to ride off into the sunset, it'll be a successful career based on what happened. Yep, there. the first headline won't be that he's retiring without an international exactly, trophy. Exactly. Get that out of there. Let's move on to buy or sell. We're done with the news of the week. I'm going to go first on the buy or sell. Uh, and I've got the Olympics here, and I'm going to buy this. I'm going to say that the Olympics 
should have been canceled, period. The vaccination rate in Japan, not 50%, not 40%, not 30%, not even 20%, 18% of the Japanese population is fully vaccinated. And yet we're having a huge sporting event regardless. They have, uh, they are under a, a state of emergency or they have an emergency situation now that has been called because of COVID. And it just seems to me, you know, it was already put off, of course. Mm -hmm. 2020 was obvious, right? But I would think that there would be benchmarks. Just because you put it off in 2020 doesn't mean it's the default that you're going to have in 2021. It's like, okay, have things marginally changed for the better in your country? 18%? fully vaccinated. Now I know that they have protocols that are crazy and I get it and they're doing their best, but I just wonder, I wonder not only about the wisdom of this, but also the message. And I think the message is, hey, we're gonna ram this thing through no matter what. And you know, I know a lot of the Japanese public in polls are like not cool with this at all. And I think it's like, hey, they're saying, look, this COVID thing is pretty serious. Of course, I don't know because I don't follow Japan news. I don't know why only 18% of the population is vaccinated right now. I would have thought that that number would be much higher. Um, but I just, so buy or sell. Are you going to buy or sell that? That they should have been canceled. You know, I'm going to buy it, I, I think. But, you know, in, in today's sports world, a lot of things that should happen don't happen. And I think that after getting the Olympics postponed one year, even though Japan vaccine vaccine rates, you said uh, 17%. 18. You have to look at last year was 0%. And if you're the IOC and you're just trying to make money, going from 0% to 18%, yep. you're like, all right, let's go. Well, And I think that's really just the case here. And, I, you know, it, it's cynical and it's lazy to say, oh, they're just doing it because they want to make money. But sometimes it really is that simple, I think. Well, here's another thing, because I'm a Libra. And so that means that I always have to go. I always have to balance everything. I can't just go on one side. I have to give the other the counterpoint, too. And I will say this. I respect the fact that these athletes who have lived and trained and are elite for this time, that they deserve their opportunity. I do think that. Because if you're going to put it off to 2022, now you've got the Winter Olympics. And I don't even know if there's been a discussion. If there has, I haven't. I haven't heard it, a discussion about, look, 2022 is out. You know, uh, we're not going to have, of course, remember that we used to do the winter and the summer Olympics were on the same year. So I guess it's not like that's a novel concept. Um, moved them so that they wouldn't uh, you know, conflict at all. But I do think this, I do think that I could not look an Olympic athlete to be in the eye and say, you shouldn't get your chance. So that's my Libra side that says, like, <laughs> it is cynical, but it is true, I think that money changes everything, as they say. Not they say, but uh, I forgot the artist. Come on. Ah, Capsules everything around me? No. No. Anyways, back in my day, so you probably wouldn't know. Uh, I know that there are people who are listening right now. I know you are. Who are are screaming the name of... Capsules everything around me. That is that, that is not that is not my day. I don't know what you're talking about. No, money changes everything. Um, hold on, it's coming up. It's Cindy Lauper. Money. I'm talking about Wu Tang Clan. I'm talking about. Well, that one's my day too. I know. I'm talking about Cindy Lauper. Anyway, okay, that was a horrible diversion there. But money changes everything. So the cynical part of me says, you know, this is ridiculous that they're having it. But I will say, I think that the Olympic athletes should get the chance. And, you know, fans or no fans, who cares? Yeah. They did not train 
for the stadium. They did not train to, for there to be 50,000 fans. They train every day relentlessly. In front of one person. In front yeah. of, and, and they have themselves and their records yes. and their, their own PRs to compete against, and they should be given that chance. Okay. And I, yeah, and I think it's also important to consider that this is something that only happens once every four years. And it's a really fickle thing to have, you know, that, that have that lineup with your prime. And when that's getting moved yeah. around and canceled, that can be really tough. Like I said, really fickle. You know who yeah. else is really fickle? The NFL media. Tell Boom, me about transition it. is very, very fickle. And you can tell because of how quickly the narrative changes. If you were to ask someone in the NFL media last offseason, hey, how good is Matthew Stafford when he was playing in the doldrums of the Motor City? They would have told you that most likely he's a good to above average quarterback. But now that he's playing in L.A., he now has that magical stardust on him that makes people think he's a top five quarterback. So playing in the NFC West, he has a lot of uh, valuable benchmarks in his division. So I pose a question to you. Do you buy or sell that Matthew Stafford is the best quarterback in the NFC West right now? I sell. I don't buy that. As you know, I am a big Matthew Stafford fan. Of course. Uh, I think that Matthew Stafford has been a top-tier quarterback for years. He's played for a team that's horrible, and that makes a huge difference. However... There is a guy in the West, I'm sorry, who has ring, uh, rings, plural, yes. Yes. who has rings. And I do, so do I think that Matt Stafford is in the top 10% of quarterbacks in the NFL? Yes, I do. But I also think he has a neighbor who also is in the West. And so, no, I don't think he's the best. Yeah, I know. I would have to agree. I think anybody ranking him over uh, over Russell Wilson is, yeah, it, it, it's all narrative. It's all he's in L.A. now. Russell Wilson, I mean, is still on historic uh, yeah. paces in terms of what he's able to do through the air. His deep his deep ball passing numbers are still put him towards the top of the league. Let Russ cook. Also worth noting that there's a quarterback in Arizona who some might say is better than Matthew Stafford. Kyler Murray, one of the most uh, fun players watching the NFL, entering uh, a make or break season as well. The NFC West this year is going to be a blast. I'll tell you this. I think that it is not a statement to say that uh, Matt Stafford is not the best in the West. That's more a statement of the NFC West probably has the best quarterbacks uh, top to bottom. Now I'm freelancing that one without thinking. The top to bottom. Um, tell me a conference that has better quarterbacks. And I know we're having to think like here on our feet, but as I go, you know, I mean, most conferences, or I'm sorry, yeah, most conference, no, most divisions, divisions have yeah. one yeah. really good quarterback. You got yeah. Mahomes and KC. Yeah. Who else is in the NFC West? I'm sorry, Derek Carr is our AFC West. Derek Carr's not up there, in my opinion. I guess not that, at that level. I guess it's, I guess that's a Justin Herbert question. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. But I. But so, I don't yeah. put Justin yeah. Herbert up in Matt Stafford. Or no, and I don't think I don't think you can category. after one like good year. Right. Yeah. So I. So I. But I do. So okay. I'm sorry. I, I took. I took that buyer sell there, and I went with a little bit too much. Can I move? Yeah, you on? sold it. Can I you move sold to it. mine? Yes, please. Okay. I have a buyer sell. Uh, I think that it is time for Major League Baseball to get rid of the home plate umpire. Tell them. Gone. Because, you know what? Not because I think it necessarily makes the game better. I like the umpire. I like the element of the umpire. Yeah. I don't like the theatrics of, I think it's ridiculous yeah. that baseball allows there to be such a time waster so have a manager come out and kick sand on the plate 
and, and pitch a fit. No other major sport allows that to happen. Thank you very much. Yeah, while the umpire gets his own little performance art as well, exactly. where he makes a big deal. Throwing like, somebody out of the game. It's right. like, come on, this is theater. I didn't pay to go to the theater. I'll go to the theater if I want to watch theater, and I'll watch professional actors, not these guys. However, I will say that because we're not going to hear the end of it, because of the stat nerds and the geeks and technology, we are not going to hear the end of it, how many missed calls home plate umpires make, even no. though, even the worst ones, I still would say you get behind the plate and you try to do that to the level that they do it. Yeah. The, you know, it's, it's like it is with the NFL with super slow motion. Yeah. The margin of error for these human beings called referees or yeah. umpires is so thin now, so small, it's impossible. And so it's going to be such a, a drumbeat of constant on Twitter. You know, there are yeah. Twitter accounts now, as you know, that do nothing but highlight missed calls. There, yeah, there is a there is a Twitter account. Let me see if I can find it and, now. And, and and I mean, I'm tired of it already. It's I'm I'm done with it. No, already. it's like, yeah, because there's you know, there's the box on the screen where everybody knows yes. Oh, where and, everybody knows what a strike is, and you're really taking out um you're really taking out the the objective or subjective subject, part of it right. when when the umpire calls a ball or a strike and everybody who's watching can say objectively, yeah. no, it wasn't. Well, Why are they even there? There's an account here, uh, Welcome to the Ump Show, where that just highlights how bad umpires are. This account was created six weeks ago and has 21,000 followers. People are bloodthirsty for this stuff. Get yeah. these poor men out of there. Well, it's only a matter of time. And so it's just going to be agonizing until it happens. And I do feel like this, the standard that is set by these computers is ridiculously, I mean, obviously there's no margin of error for an umpire. And if you want to say like, okay, he's calling how many pitches in a game? It's going to be 250? 250, ballpark. Something like that, yeah. okay, 250 pitches in a game? I mean, if he gets 98% of them right, okay, 2% mm -hmm. would mean what? He's missing five, five. pitches. Yeah. Five pitches. And all five of them and all five of them end up on social media with people yeah. saying he should he should be he working should be at a fired. pharmacy. He's, yeah. He and I mean this is ridiculous. And so I so, think it I is th I think I'm going to buy this one. <laughs> uh, I I appreciate that. It's only it's going to happen. It's inevitability. It's just how long yeah. are we going to roast these umpires and and it's enough. In my opinion, enough of the crucifying of these guys. Let's let's move on and have the computer so that we can quit arguing about something that is not even really worth arguing about. No oh, argument. There's no argument. The computers are 100% accurate, so why aren't we doing it? Let's move on to something else that no one wants to ever argue about. No one ever wants to argue about Ben Simmons or the Philadelphia 76ers, right? One of the <laughs> least controversial teams in sports right there. Uh, today, the esteemed Shams Tarania, I probably mispronounced your last name, Shams, I apologize, uh, came out with a report saying that the Ben Simmons trade season has begun. The Philadelphia 76ers are officially fielding offers, and they expect an all-star player in return. Dad, do you buy or sell that it's realistic to expect an all-star player in return for a player we all just watched wither in the playoffs? Oh, well, you know, for each team, I think, you know, you've got certain needs. I will say this. I'm looking at Ben Simmons' stats, 14 points per game. Seven rebounds and seven assists. I mean, that's a pretty good stat line. But is it all-star worthy to trade an all-star? Um, I'm going to uh, – so your assertion is that he's not worth it. Is that I'm going to say he's not okay. worth it. I'll, I'll buy sell, that. Sell that. Or, well, whatever. 
Um, I'm going to agree with you. How's that? I'm going to agree with you that he's not worth an all-star. Uh, however, I can see, though, where a GM might say, like, look, uh, do I want a 6'11 guy who can give me 14, 7, and 7 every night? And I'll work on his. I've got somebody on my bench here who knows how to work with these personalities. And I'm telling you, in three years, we'll build around this guy. And people are going to say I'm a genius for trading for him. I'll tell you why I sell this. Because when you say you want an all-star player, what you're essentially saying is that a lot of NBA trades, you're exchanging future for past. Or you're exchanging present for future, right? You look at the Anthony Davis trade. You're trading a good player to the Lakers, and the Pelicans get a bunch of draft capital, a bunch of young players, because the two teams are essentially exchanging timelines, right? When you take a Ben Simmons and you say, we want all-star player in return for him, you're probably trading Ben Simmons to another playoff team in order to get an all-star player. And is a playoff team going to want a player who just played a seven-game series and attempted three fourth-quarter shots? and zero fourth quarter shots after game three. I'm sorry, but this Ben Simmons fella is afraid of the spotlight. He withers like a delicate little flower every time he gets into the spotlight. And we saw it late in game seven when he passed out of the layup. It was indicative of everything we've seen from him. And I think it's a very far-fetched idea to say you want a all-star player in return when the nature of that dictates you'd be trading him to a playoff team. What playoff team wants a player who can't perform in the playoffs, Dad? Well, that's a good point. I will say the only thing that I would say in a counter to that is that uh, general managers and management is known for taking on projects and thinking that they can change. Not for an all-star player. Well, that's true. That's true. I'm trading a first-round pick and some filler for a project. Uh, That's a good point. That's a good point. And so maybe that's what we're going to have to deal with there when it comes to Ben Simmons. It'll be interesting to see, though. You know, it'll be really interesting to see um, whether they're going to be giving that up. Um, and, and what eventually happens, you know, during the offseason, it's going to be really interesting to see. Moving on to our next segment here, we look at, is this a thing? The segment where we look at something that's going on in sports and we ask a very simple question. Dad, is this a thing? Is this a thing? What do you have? Well, this week, uh, you know, Lionel Messi, who we just talked about his success internationally with his country, he is in the middle of a bit of a slow motion divorce with his club, FC Barcelona, as it appears that uh, Barcelona's post-pandemic finances aren't going to be enough to keep him. A report came out this week that indicated that some Spanish football heads outside of Barcelona, who you'd think would be thrilled about the prospect of getting the best player in the world out of their league, are instead willing to give Barcelona a cash infusion to help them get Lionel Messi to help keep Spanish football relevant. Dad, is this a thing? Do you think this is actually going to be something that is allowed to happen? Do you think this could be a bellwether for future sports negotiations like this? I think it could be. I mean, I do think that it's obviously not a I think it's looking at the bigger picture, obviously, these these uh, owners who want to do this. I think there's been somewhat of a precedent set anyway, uh, like in this country. Although, you know, the NHL helped to keep the Phoenix Coyotes afloat um, whenever they were going through hard times. I don't think that it's, um, you know, has never been heard of before. Is this a thing going forward? Uh, I don't think it is a thing going forward. And one reason why is because, of course, you have the competitive fires. And also because Messi is such a transcendent player, um, there aren't a lot of players on the planet who are that vital to where you could do something like that. 
Um, so I don't think it's a thing. I don't think it's a thing going forward. I think it is a flash in the pan, and it really is more of a testament to what kind of a player that Lionel Messi is. You know, I think it's the kind of thing that when you're in the offseason, it sounds like a good idea when you're looking at your books. And I understand that the, the financial uh, impact of things like this is more important than we're accustomed to it being. We're so used to teams being able to sort of put the checkbook on the shelf and just try to win. After the pandemic, especially international sport, that might not be as easy as it used to be. But what I do think is a thing more than anything, if the uh, Spanish FA goes through with this and they do use this as, an, uh, as a way to keep Messi in Barcelona is I think the first time Messi uh, goes from line to line and scores a, a solo goal in the 12th minute against, uh, you know, La Valencia FC. I think they're going to remember uh, why it was that people were surprised they did this. And I understand that. However, you know, you really have to think about the viability of your league. And if you've got the best or one of the best players in your league, in the world, um, I can see where it's like, no, we don't want him going. Uh, somewhere else and you know and for an iconic team as well in the league I mean this is um, so I, I sort of get it let me get to my is this the thing you know uh, the NBA or the uh, team USA excuse me you know has obviously run across a couple of speed bumps named Nigeria and Australia um, you would not have expected no. that there would be losses for team USA in basketball um, so I wonder if has the NBA game changed so much that the Team USA can't really compete on the world stage because the game is refereed in a different way and they just can't make the transition? It's crazy to me. Now, maybe it won't mean anything. Maybe after the Olympics, it'll be like, ah, this was no big deal. As right. I say, a tempest in a teapot. But on the other hand, uh, you know, people in the United States are not accustomed to hearing this, especially no. like, Losing to Nigeria? Um, what's up? Well, you know, I think, first of all, you have to look at this is a different Team USA that we're accustomed to in the last few years. Uh, no Kobe, obviously. No LeBron. Steph Curry sitting out. Uh, you know, Popovich, or Mike Krzyzewski isn't involved anymore. I think people might be underestimating how important that is, yeah. that we've had that continuity at the top of USA basketball for the last few years. But I also think... The nature of FIBA rules, uh, that, that's the uh, International Basketball Association uh, who governs Olympic basketball, the nature of it is by design to help the teams that don't have NBA talent catch up to the teams with NBA talent. That's why, for example, there's no cylinder rule for goaltending. If the ball's on the rim, you can knock it out of there. Uh, they don't call it fouls as easily. I've watched both of the games. That's been the biggest thing is that Team USA, the Damian Lillards of the world, they go into the paint and get breathed on and expect to get a foul call. It's not happening. And they're losing as a result of it. They can't guard anything. Charles Barkley said last night they can't guard a parked car. <laughs> Charles Barkley himself is a parked car. If anybody knows that, it'd be him. It's been very hard to watch. And ultimately, the question is, will Team USA be able to adapt to rules that are set up to make them lose? If you're good enough, you can win despite that. You have Kevin Durant. You have Damian Lillard. You have Jason Tatum. You have Bradley Beal. If you are a good enough team, and you are, then you should be able to overcome those rules. But ultimately, that is what it will come down to, I think. Well, and something else as well that maybe people in the U.S. don't know is that basketball is played now around the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's not the way that it used to be. It's not just the U.S.'s playground anymore. And that there are actually some really good, some really stout international teams right now. And if you're not playing at your top level, 
And if you're not conforming to the rules of this international way the game is played, then you're not going to win. Yeah, it's not just a hey, Team USA is here. Um, let's let's uh, let's just go ahead and give them the title. Uh, let me move on to our next one. Then uh, did we cover our it's a thing? Are we done? With yes, it's a thing. Yes, or is this a thing? Uh, all right, you shut up. Um, I'm blown away by Otani. I just think that we are seeing, and this is not uh, profound, but this is such a generational talent that I think it's just blows me away. I have been around on this planet for a while and have seen a lot of crazy good baseball players. You know, from my youngest age, seeing players like Rod Carew with the Twins, who was like a hitting machine, to George Brett, who was a hitting machine, Hank Aaron, who was a home run hitting machine. Um, never, never since Babe Ruth has there been a home run hitter who was also a lights out pitcher. And I think, I have always thought that Babe Ruth was the best player in baseball, not because he hit 714 home runs or that he could point to center field and then hit the ball out of the park, but also because before he was a home run hitter, he was a lights out pitcher. Lights out pitcher. I think it is nuts that you could play on both ends, but even more so. Whereas I thought that Babe Ruth was the best player to ever play the game because unlike Hank Aaron, who I would put at number two, by the way, unlike Hank Aaron, uh, or, or, or Hank Aaron, unlike Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron was not a pitcher. No. <laughs> but in today's world, I think it's even exponentially more special because in today's world, it's all about specialization. Now, I don't know what's going on over in Japan, but I know in this country, you're either a pitcher or you're a fielder, or you're a hitter, but you're not a pitcher and a fielder. You're not yeah. a pitcher and a hitter. Yeah. And, and and if you are, they won't let you. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you might have been in high school. Pretty common yeah. that the best player was the best, not only a right. lights out pitcher, but the best player. Best player. Yeah. But the reason that doesn't go through the minors and into the majors is because you have to pick one. Mm -hmm. You're either a pitcher, and if you're drafted as a pitcher, you're going to be a pitcher, and that means you're not getting BP anymore. You don't get BP, period, because your total time is spent in pitching. And so for this guy to be a lights-out pitcher and to be clouding the ball out of the park like this, to me, is the most special thing that baseball has seen since Babe Ruth, which is saying something. And I think if he keeps this up, even just to do it for one year, I mean, for one year to think that you could hit the ball out of the park like that and turn around and strike out, uh, Mike Trout mm -hmm. or something like that. It's like, what? Yeah. And he's very obviously the MVP to the point that it's almost unfair. Like, I feel like there should be almost another award. I don't keep up uh, with baseball uh, hard enough to know which specific players have an MVP case, but I'm sure there's some player in the AL who's batting over 300, hitting a lot of home runs, driving in a lot of runs, and he's not even going to get close to getting MVP because someone else is doing all that and also has an ERA under 3.5. Nice. That's almost unfair. I mean, nice. if you're if you're a really good hitter, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. There's almost no amount of hitting that you can get to that'll equate to being able to also be a dominant starting pitcher. Yeah. Well, and again, and even in the home run contest, the ball that he hit, it's like people are and again, pitchers don't do that. Pitchers aren't supposed to do that. And and they're it's because not. they don't take batting practice. It's because they're not and you know, when you're talking about at this elite level of major league baseball, you have to practice this every day mm -hmm. in order to stay at that elite level. And so that's why you might have been a great hitter 
coming out of high school. You might have even been a great hitter and a pitcher coming out of college, though already the specialization has started even in college. But once you go through a minor league system, there is no way that a pitching coach is going to allow you to waste your training time in the batting cage. And so it stands to reason that you're not going to be able to hit the ball as well anymore. But this guy defies that. And I also think it's interesting to remind us that the best players don't have to come from the U.S. or even from the Western Hemisphere. It's true. And they don't have to speak English. They don't have to speak English. That's for sure. But, you know, I also think about when Hank Aaron had set the record and then Sadaharu Oh. That's right. From Japan. That's right. And I got to tell you, as somebody over here who was a huge Hank Aaron fan in the U.S., I was like, come on. You're like two letters in the last name? Come Get out of here. He can't. And he's not playing the same baseball that we play over here. There's got to be something to it. And then Ichiro comes over here and it's like, no, actually, yeah. Yeah. The best. We're good. The best. And now this guy, again, from Japan, it's like uh, there must be some good baseball going on. That's right. Speaking of international talents, now it's time for you to shut up. I'm going to talk. You know, I touched on this earlier. It's about time we start putting some respect on Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that the narrative when he re-signed the extension in Milwaukee was that he was taking loyalty to his city and prioritizing that maybe over being perceived as a winner. Now we're seeing that that is a false choice, that Giannis can stay in Milwaukee where he wants to play and do unbelievably. But even further than that, I'm going to do the one thing that I never want to do in a basketball discussion, and I'm going to bring up LeBron. A big part of LeBron's legacy and a big part of why everybody has such a high regard for what LeBron has been able to do in the finals, even though he's only he's lost more times than he's won in the finals, is because the narrative has always been he has no help. Let's talk about Giannis and whether or not he's getting any help. We already touched on earlier the ridiculous individual stats, the things he's doing that no one has done since Shaq, the things he's doing that no one has done in the NBA finals, period. If you look at his teammates and how they're supporting him, when Giannis is on the floor, the Bucs, uh, this is through the first two games which they both lost, okay? So this isn't counting game three. Through the first two games which they lost, Giannis, when he was on the floor, the Bucs outscored the Suns by four points for every 100 possessions, okay? Dad, how do you think they did without Giannis on the floor? Please tell me. Negative 10 points? Negative Please. 20? Oh. Surely not negative 30, oh, no. right? Surely oh. it's not negative 53.1 points <laughs> for every 100 possessions, right? But that's what it was through the first two games. And Giannis was getting no help and was still only two weeks after we all thought he had blown out his knee in Atlanta, is putting up numbers unlike anything we've ever seen. In game three, basically willed his team back into the series. This is the this is a top five player in the NBA we're watching right now. I firmly believe that. And we're watching an all-time NBA Finals performance on the level that anything LeBron has ever done. And I think it's about time we start putting that respect on Giannis. I like those stats. I like those stats. It definitely backs up what you say. And respect, he is definitely putting the team on his back. And I do think that LeBron rightly got a lot of credit whenever he did that. And and I guess Giannis is doing the same thing. And it, you know, sort of stokes the age-old debate. You know, Michael Jordan had a great surrounding cast. You know, so did Bird, so did Magic. 
Um, you know, LeBron maybe not so much, and now Giannis, I guess, not so much. I mean, even LeBron got like, you know, Dwayne Wade was around, well, Chris Bosch was around, he had, plenty, he had plenty in Miami, and you know, he got some help in Cleveland from Kyrie. It's like, listen, when Jeru Holiday and Chris Middleton aren't playing well, this is like a sixth seed in the East. Yeah. And and Giannis, as I said, is single-handedly keeping this NBA Finals watchable. I mean, if he was if he was limping around like we all thought he would be, we'd probably be talking about uh, Chris Paul winning his first ring right now. And that's not what we're talking about. Instead, we're having a conversation about how competitive and fun the Finals are. It's been great. I'm so happy for Giannis for not listening to people telling him, if you want to be a great NBA Finals performer, you need to go run from the grind, like Damian Lillard says, and go join Miami. Go join Golden State. Go do what everyone else does. And Giannis said no. Can we do a Durant? Do a Durant, do a LeBron, do do it, do it, you know. Right. Uh, the NBA media and the NBA Twitter says you have to do to win championships. Right. Giannis said no. And I'm he's seen him. and he's seen the uh, he's he's a very wealthy man as a result of it, first of all, because Milwaukee gave him the most money, and he's showing that, hey, I'm Giannis. I can do whatever I want. Well, there's a good storyline too to go with Chris Paul. I think a lot of people are rooting for Chris Paul because he's been around for a while. I yeah. think everybody would say he deserves. And in this case, yeah. here's an argument for Giannis yeah. to root for Giannis and say, like, hey, if you can put that whole team on your back, then you deserve the trophy. Hey, that's gonna wrap it up for this week's No You Shut Up. Thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget that we'll be back again next week with another riveting and contentious podcast of No, You Shut Up. I'm Dad. I'm Alex. That was good. <laughs>